So today we have Murray from Jobber with us and we want to ask a question. What is the best way for lawn care pros to invoice? Monthly invoicing for weekly clients seems logical, but it's really time consuming. Is there a better way? Great question, Britt, and this is one we actually get all the time. When it comes to invoicing for regular clients, monthly is the better option. Think about your customer experience. The more invoices and paperwork they have to deal with, the more likely they're going to put it off and delay that payment. If you're using Jobber, you can see a running list of all your jobs available for invoicing. Batch create them all at once and send them all out, all in a couple clicks. It's literally a few clicks a month. You'll save all of that time on your end, you'll provide a better customer service experience, and you'll get paid faster because your clients will appreciate the professionalism and really feel less overwhelmed. I like to ask the question, are you on the road to wealth right now? Well, I'm about to give you the way to diagnose whether or not you are financially on the road to wealth. It's called. This is the Lawn Care Leaders Podcast. I am your show host, Britt. Y'all have been waiting on this one. We've got Tony Bass, business owner, landscaper, author, business consultant, keynote speaker, inventor. This guy is all things green industry, and he stopped by to add value to you guys. We talk about five ways of building wealth in the landscape industry. Listen up, get your notepad out, get your pen out, put your earbuds in, turn that volume up, crank it up to 10. Here we go. Perfect. No, we'll get into it. Um, again, Tony, appreciate your time. Let's get into, you've got a new book coming out and um, very successful, well-known in the green industry. Um, so tell us about, yeah, tell us about the E-Myth, what you're known for. Give us like a quick elevator speech of what you've done, what you have going on now. And I know we're going to talk about the new book um that you have coming out so give us your elevator speech real quick Britt, thanks for having me today yes, and uh, i've been in the lawn and landscape industry for now 32 years and uh i have been pursuing personally yeah. a road to wealth through landscaping yeah. since i founded a small landscaping business right out of college grew it up to millions of dollars in annual revenue, eventually yeah. selling that company yeah. for a seven-figure profit and retired at 41 years old. Along the way, the processes, the procedures, the documented systems that I put together in that business, many of them have been have been cataloged and preserved in the book, The E-Myth Landscape Contractor, while most landscape companies don't work and what to do about it. And so if you haven't read that book, if you haven't got that book, it's a great place to get started with systems-based thinking, yeah. which is the first step to becoming wealthy from landscape. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, and uh, I personally read that book, brushed up on it, um, read it, or listened Good. to it on Audible as I was, as I was prepping for this interview. Um, I will tell our listeners, if you have not read or listened to that, 
If nothing else, when you're on the mower, busy, shaking and baking, put this in your earbuds, listen to the book, um, going from that mindset of busy, busy, busy to actually putting the systems in place, this book alone will help you kind of take that next step. So um, really, really helpful. A lot of good knowledge and tips in there. Um, Tony, so let's, um, you've obviously, you've been successful in many different facets. You're kind of not only a public figure, you're now helping small businesses um, take that next step, separate themselves and build wealth for themselves. And you've done it yourself. So this is a, it's not just theory. You're not just coming up with these things. It's stuff that's worked for you, stuff that's working for other companies around the nation. Let's get into this book, um, Five Steps to Building Wealth um, in the Landscape Industry. Let's get into that and talk about those five steps. Literally, we'll start with number one, and I want you yeah. to kind of uh, preface each one, and we'll go from there. Yeah, so the the wealthy landscaper is the book that I'm working on right now, Britt, and okay. the wealthy landscaper: five ways to build your seven figure future from your lawn or landscape company. And you know, step one really begins with you building your financial plan. Mm -hmm. I like to ask the question: Are you on the road to wealth right now? Well, I'm about to give you the way to diagnose whether or not you are financially on the road to wealth. It's okay. called it's a financial benchmark that the IRS will not ask you for. Your accountant will not ask you for it. Uh, your banker will not ask you for it. But if you and I were to work together mm -hmm. on improving the financial performance of your company, we're going to dig into this. We're going to figure it out really quickly. It's called your sales per full-time equivalent. Okay. Now, sales per full-time equivalent will be a benchmark measurement that will allow you to compare your company's financial productivity uh, across the industry, across other companies from, from uh, slightly different, you know, from ge different geographical regions or different service profiles. Yeah. But the calculation is very simple, simple math. It goes like this. You're going to first get into your records and figure out your full time, uh, to figure out your full time equivalent, you need to to know first your field hours. That is the, the number of labor hours worked in the field. Okay. If you can go through your, you know, payroll records and simply count man hours, that is yep. the hours on the clock. And for you owner operators who work in the business and who work in the field, yes, you would include your time in there as well. If you work part-time in the field, part-time in sales and, you know, and uh, estimating and things like that, well, then put at least part of your hours in this equation. But you want to start with your total hours worked in the field, okay. and then you divide that by 2,000. 2,000 is the number of hours a full-time worker works okay. in a company for a year. Okay. And so what we're doing with this calculation, field hours divided by 2,000, is we uh, come up with your full-time equivalent. Now, this is most likely a decimal type number. You currently have, you know, 2.5 employees or 6.7 employees or 22 and a half employees or whatever that number might be. But that that full time equivalent number allows us to to avoid the confusion that's created around the seasonal nature of this industry. Okay. Right. Many of us are, you know, we have more employees in the spring or the summer, we have fewer employees in the 
in the fall or the winter. And so this allows us to normalize the numbers and get everybody on the yeah. same uh, playing field. Good. Next, once we have our full-time equivalent, we simply take our sales divided by our by our FTE, your full-time equivalent calculation, mm -hmm. and we divide sales by FTE, and we come up with a sales per full-time equivalent. And here's the magic number, Britt, that I'm uh, coaching all of my students to get to today. Okay. Sales per full-time equivalent in 2019, as we sit here today, $129,000 per FTE. Now, if you're in the lawn maintenance business and and 80 or 90% of your revenues is coming from mowing and pruning and, you know, general maintenance type work, mm -hmm. then it wouldn't surprise me if your sales per FTE is a little lower than 129,000, okay. maybe a hundred thousand, maybe 110,000. Okay. But if you're doing landscape construction work where you're buying trees and you're buying shrubs and sod and mm -hmm. soil and large amounts of mulch and hardscape materials and things like this, well, your sales per full-time equivalent um, may be upwards of 200000 okay. per FTE. Okay. And so it matters the kind of mix that you have. Yeah. A guy who specializes in lawn care, for example, where you're you know, putting down weed control, fertilizer, and so on, mm -hmm. very common for me to see guys get up to 150, 180000 mm -hmm. sales per full-time equivalent in that specialized discipline of work. Okay. But what's important here is that you have to know your number and then you have to carefully monitor your number year after year after year to see if you are keeping up with the productivity of your past and if you are increasing your financial productivity as you move forward, getting more experience, getting better customers, you know, having better trained employees and mm -hmm. so forth. So this, this sales per full-time equivalent, Britt, uh, this isn't about you know, uh, being braggadocious about what your gross revenue is. Yeah. I, I don't care what your gross revenue is. Yeah. You, uh, we held, uh, we hold a, a series of training events each year. Mm -hmm. And one of them is called a profit builder training event, in which we teach financial planning, budgeting and estimating for lawn and landscape business owners. And then this previous year, mm -hmm. we had a range of sales per FTEs at a low of $44,000 per set, per full-time employee per year yeah. to a high in our classes this year of $195,000 nice. per FTE, yep. okay? And uh, by the way, both of those companies that, that are the bookends of the range were both lawn maintenance companies. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, uh, this is a way to start. It is, it, it, is, it is the first way for you to identify if there is a big problem in your company. Let me tell you what the biggest problem that prevents lawn and landscape business owners from truly building wealth, it is the failure to price your jobs correctly. Mm -hmm. Failure to price right is a recipe for disaster. No, no, it's a recipe for death. Yeah. I'm serious about it when I say death because, look, uh, if you're a business owner, man, your family is counting on you. Mm -hmm. Your mm -hmm. children are counting on you. Your your spouse is counting on you. Likely, there's 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 a, a employees and their families are counting on you. And so, if you don't get this right, yeah. if you don't start off by fixing your financial uh, plan 
then there is no amount of energy. There's no amount of effort. There's no amount of, of, um, of long hours or improving productivity that can fix your problem. It all, everything that happens in your company is subservient to how you price your jobs. And so there is nothing more important than how you price your work. That's, That's awesome. the first step in becoming a wealthy uh, lawn or landscape contractor that's good. is that you've got to fix your pricing system. That's good. That's good. Let me, uh, let me interject here. So we'll go back to square one um, for our listeners. Sales per full-time equivalent, you're looking to get total labor hours and build in efficiencies to get to what you're saying is about 129000 per full-time guy in the labor force. Now let's go back. Let's back up. Let's say they, they don't have more than six team members you know it's just a dad and a son business or one that's guy fine. one guy let's say he he's you know oftentimes we get a, a fireman that's looking to make the leap into full-time lawn care mm-hmm. push drive this home for him because so many people that we talk to it's almost like i'll do anything to get the job i'll beat him <laughs> out and what happens is it's a race to the bottom as far as price and until they get burned on a big landscaping job they don't understand the gravity of margin and building that in and why that's so important. They're just chasing a client rather than what, yeah. what number well, do I need to be at? So, yeah. so drive that Listen, point home. Uh, I'll do so in two ways. Okay. Um, number one, uh, everything that happens in your company from a financial standpoint is most likely a big mystery until you have accurate and complete records. And let me tell you the most important record to keep. Uh, The most important record to keep is your labor hours on a job-by-job basis because labor is the single biggest expense in your company. Mm -hmm. And that applies to you, Mm owner-operator. That is, your time uh, that you spend on the job is the biggest expense or the biggest opportunity. And, and, And when you're thinking about it, you know, uh, even if you're a part-timer, if you don't keep records, exact records of time in and time out so that you know how long it takes you to do the job, mm-hmm. what happens when you hire someone and you send someone else to do the job? Yes. You have no benchmark, yes. no standard by which that person can be held accountable or be, or be measured yeah. to how successful they are. Yeah. And so record-keeping on a job-by-job basis is where it starts. Look, you need absolutely no fancy software for this. You need pencil and paper. Uh, You can advance it to a spreadsheet, of course, but your your job-by-job-by-job records of in and out, start time, stop time, is the first step to becoming wealthy in this business because, brother, if if you figure a job is going to take you one hour, but it actually takes you 66 minutes. You are 10% off. Mm-hmm. You follow me? Yeah. 60 minutes in an hour, mm-hmm. six minutes is 10% over would be 66 minutes. If you figured a job was going to take 10 minutes and you were 10% off, and only it now took you 12 minutes. Mm-hmm. And you go, well, it's only 12 minutes. No, it's your life, brother. Time with a capital T yeah. is life. Yeah. And, uh, and, and so we've got to be very, very careful about this. Yeah. And until you understand this concept and apply it in your business on every single job, I assure you, this is a very tough business to make a living in because 
we are so reliant on labor. Mm -hmm. And you know what? Labor is affected by a number of things. It can be affected by the weather. It can be affected by the type of equipment we deploy in the field. Labor can be affected by the training that we put into our, our team, our staff. Labor can be affected by people's attitudes mm -hmm. and the teammates that they're, you know, that they're partnered with and, and, and almost endless other things, uh, from these, uh, these cell phones that guys are carrying on their hips and they're always, you know, getting banged up by this and that, <laughs> all of that yeah. impacts our labor. And yeah. so, so we've got to be very careful about this and there are no exceptions. Yeah. I don't care how big, I don't care how small, uh, this has to be dealt with and it must be dealt with first. Yes. Yes. All right. Uh, speaking to our listeners now, you guys need to go back, rewind, re-listen to that, take notes. Um, cause there's stuff in there that you need to extract and input into your company today. Um, the thing that we always stress here, we say winners keep score. If you don't keep keep score, you don't know if you're winning. You don't know how if you know if there's no boundaries. You don't know if you're out of bounds, if you're in bounds, or how you're doing. So, winners keep score. The other thing we kind of grazed over, but I think is going to be key, especially for people with different service scopes. Say they're doing mowing, maintenance, landscaping, and chemical applications. The very first thing you came out of the gate with was sales per full-time equivalent, but they need to itemize out each service scope. Um, they can't just go out, do three guys, call it good, and run an average. They need to do the work for each line item, each service that they offer. Well, you know, as companies grow, they get more sophisticated with their accounting. I was reviewing financial statements with one of my clients this morning mm -hmm. and a profit and loss statement, all profit and loss statements are organized in a similar fashion. It starts with, with revenue or sales at the top and then there are direct cost of goods sold underneath. Mm -hmm. And then after that, there's a gross profit line item. After that, there's some overhead administrative costs. And then there's the bottom line, the thing everybody's most interested in mm -hmm. net profit or net income same same uh different words same definition um you know as companies expand their service offerings it's very common for me to see one line item that says revenue for law and maintenance revenue for maybe law and care mm -hmm. revenue for irrigation and repair services or revenue for hardscaping. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we start to break down our service lines and that's fine. That's fine. That, that it's, that's interesting information. But until you track the labor that's associated with each of those income segments, then that revenue is simply, uh, simply colorful commentary. It, 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 it doesn't provide you any significant benefit until you can break down the labor against that. Yes. Because that's where the biggest risk is in this business. Yes, yes. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, all right, so let's go on. If you're okay with it, unless you have another point, let's go on to uh, number two. Well, let me let me add three things real quick to the to the step one in increasing profits, Britt, because it, it it's it's a way for someone to to begin to realize that they may have a problem in their pricing. Mm -hmm. If you price your jobs by any of these three methods, you know you might be in trouble. Number one, 
It's called the what's it paying method. Mm -hmm. That is, you take a job from, from a customer who says, well, here's what I will pay for you to do this job. Mm -hmm. And they set the price, not you. Yeah. Okay. The what's it paying method. And I'll bet you have some jobs right now that you've accepted for that type of, uh, of arrangement. Mm -hmm. So, um, the challenge with that is, is that as your company grows and as your overhead structure changes and as your payroll structure changes, that, that number may or may not be good for you. And so you really have to know your numbers. Mm -hmm. the, the what's it paying method is dangerous. Yeah. Number two, what are my competitors charging? <laughs> that one. is Big you one. let you you let you let one of your competitors set the pricing for your company mm -hmm. and that is deadly mm -hmm. and let me tell you why that's deadly because unfortunately most contractors most small business owners are good honest hard-working people who hate to sit in the office and do financial work yeah and so you know their idea about what their business costs are uh, many times is misguided. Yeah. And what we have found over the years is that if you've been using a what's your, your competitor's charging method, you are probably going to never be better than an average profitable company. Mm -hmm. And average profitability companies do not become wealthy. Yeah. They, they over time get tired, they get hurt backs, they get burned out, they got poison ivy, poison oak, but they don't got no bank account, no bank account that allow them to take a week off or a month off or a year off, yeah. okay? And so that's a problem. And that's one of the ways we end up there, thinking that the market has somehow set the price point. Mm -hmm. That is a bunch of BS. Yeah. The market don't set the prices for your company, yeah. you do. It is your fiduciary responsibility to set a price that is right for your company so that you can be profitable, but be savvy enough with sales and understanding customer relationships to set the price right for the customer mm -hmm. so that they will hire you and not your competitor. It's a careful balancing act yeah. between setting the price right for the customer and for the company, but it must be done. Yeah. Here's the third way you screw up pricing. And I see it time and time again, particularly in guys that do contracting work where they're installing hardscapes or paver, you know, pavers and walls or installing plants and trees and yeah. sod and so forth. They're using some type of a multiplier, mm -hmm. a multiplier that they may have gotten from their vendor, a multiplier they got from their competitor, yeah. a multiplier. I heard on the street that if I took my shrubs and I marked them up 2.23765, yeah. that I would be have my, my materials covered, my equipment covered, my labor covered, and all my administrative overhead covered. And that is a, another recipe for disaster. Yeah. Here's what happens. Using multipliers generally underprices small jobs and greatly overprices big jobs, preventing you from being able to grow. Yeah, yeah. And so though, if you following any of those three pricing methods, then you need help and you need help quickly. Yeah. It, yeah. it, it, it is, it is, that's the where it starts. Okay. Yeah. So, so that's all I'm going to say about pricing. Now people know Good. if you're following those methods, you're probably in trouble. Good. No, those three points, I, I think 99% um, of uh, 
lawn and landscape people in the first five years fall under that. You get in the trap of either running down your price just to get a job, or you, like you said, look at your competitors and you start to price off of that and not really looking at, hey, there's a value exchange here, value for the client, value for me, backing into those numbers. Um, the other thing I would add to that is when you're looking at your competitors, that's not fair. Well, one, that's not fair to you. It's also not fair to the client. And each business is different. Often you're comparing to somebody that's been in business for 15 years. Your overhead is different. So again, you may be losing out on jobs because of that. Um, so that's perfect. Yeah, let's move on to number two. This is this is gold. Hit me with number two, Tony. <laughs> if you're going to become wealthy from your lawn and landscape business, yes, sir. then you must become confident. You must become educated. Mm -hmm. You must become concerned about how much money you pay in taxes. Mm. You see, Britt, uh, if you ever find yourself saying these words, my accountant takes care of my taxes, then you know you're in trouble. <laughs> Capital T-R-O-U-B-L-E, man. You are in trouble. Yeah. And let me tell you why you're in trouble. Because your accountant has very little responsibility to help you lower your taxes. Mm -hmm. He has a responsibility to be compliant mm -hmm. with the rules established by the Internal Revenue Service. Mm -hmm. And that involves things like the date that you report your your earnings and your expenses. And that has to do with the with the forms that they're filled out on. And that has to do, you know, with how how the numbers are organized as they're mm -hmm. reported. But he has little to no fiduciary responsibility yeah. to sit down with you, knee to knee, look you eyeball to eyeball and say, Britt, you are going to be paying 25 cents to 45 cents of every single dollar mm -hmm. of profit that you earn and income that you take out of your business mm -hmm. for the rest of your life. Therefore, Britt, you must, you must wake up every day and say, how can I learn more about lowering my taxes? Because over a lifetime, the millions upon millions upon millions of dollars that may pass through your company may pass through your personal checking account or your business checking account is all subject to federal and state taxes. Look, look, um, when you start looking at um, at the fact that 25 to 45 cents of every dollar is going to go towards paying some type of taxes. Well, that should give you an extraordinary amount of motivation to start reading books on tax reduction, <laughs> start reading books on on uh, on investments that are tax advantage. Yeah, yeah. Because because you know you take a, a a young man you know like yourself and you arm him with the right information at in his 20s or in his 30s you know mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden we stick out here and we work our butts off for 5 10 15 20 25 30 plus years like i have mm -hmm. you know what it matters if you pay five percent less in taxes year right. after year after year because that money can be invested and become a financial you know a financially productive asset that little soldier called a one dollar bill uh, can become uh, can become a, a worker for you, just like one of your employees um, who may be calling in sick, yeah. by the way. 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so me, lowering me... your taxes is the next step. And I see very few, very few contractors who wake up in the morning saying, how can I lower my taxes today? Yeah. Yeah. So let's get back. So there's, I know there's a guy out there saying, yeah, that's great, Tony. I've got other things going on. Where, where are they dropping the ball here? Are they procrastinating? Are they waiting too long? Are they scared of the unknown? Do they feel like, look, what, what, what are they, what are they doing it, wrong? Well, uh, let, let me give you one or two examples real quick yeah. of some very, very, very uh, significant um, tax advantaged ideas right mm -hmm. now that that could make an impact on your company. Now, uh, some may have heard of this, but as I review tax returns that are prepared by certified public accountants, mm -hmm. I see mistakes on the tax return like missing something called the federal tax credit for off-road fuels. Okay. okay, let's let's just say that you own a, a weed eater. Mm -hmm. I tell you, what, let's use a blower for example. Okay, a blower uses a little more fuel. A blower burns approximately a half a gallon of fuel per hour. Well, if you run that machine for one hour, you've spent a dollar fifty. If fuel is three dollars a gallon, okay. you with me so far? Yes, sir. Following the math? Yes, sir. Well gasoline and it, when you buy that gasoline you are paying a federal road tax equivalent to 18 cents per gallon hmm. 18 cents per gallon now that 18 cents okay so there's diesel and then there's gasoline one's 18.9 uh, one's 14.9 so whatever all right we got we got a few pennies mm -hmm. that are paying for the repairs and maintenance on our states and, and our country's roadways. Mm -hmm. You as a contractor are eligible to claim a federal tax credit. That's not a tax deduction. And so if you're having difficulty understanding the difference between a tax credit and a tax deduction, then once again, you should know right away that you have opportunity to enhance and improve your education in this area. So a tax credit is a dollar for dollar reduction of the amount of money that you will pay the IRS. Mm -hmm. So let's go back to the example for just a minute. Yep. One gallon of fuel equals um, 14.9 cents, 15 cents, what we're gonna call it, okay. um, of a federal tax credit. How many gallons of fuel will you burn this year? You multiply that times 15 cents, and there, there's a tax credit for you. And did your accountant come and knock on your door one morning and say, oh, by the way, Britt, don't forget to keep good records about yeah. your fuel consumption because yeah. if you do, you'll be eligible for a tax credit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. And I mean, it kind of goes, it, it goes back to like, nobody's going to care about your future as much as you, right? Like you can't, you can't sub out your financial future, your financial health. You can't sub out the future of your family. So though you may not know all the tax lingo, you know, hillbilly Jimmy over there just got a push mower. He's got a business now. Just because you don't feel equipped to walk into the CPA office, tell them what's going on, it's on you. It's on each contractor to take it upon themselves. Um, be intentional. Just like anything else in business, you've got to be intentional about this. And this, it needs to be, what you're saying is, it needs to be at the forefront of every small business owner's mindset every day every week every month how can i reduce my tax bill that's it and and so you tell me uh have you have you claimed this tax credit on your tax return um i'll go ahead and shine a spotlight on how bad i am i don't even know 
I don't even know. All right, so, so that's the answer. Yep. The answer is, if you don't know, then the answer is probably no. Yeah. Uh, I was, I was um, uh, working with a contractor just outside of Washington, D.C., not too mm-hmm. long ago. Yeah. And in, in, and this this uh, this guy's a very successful contractor. Revenues in his in his company are in excess of five million per year. Mm-hmm. He has uh, been in business for over twenty five years. Mm-hmm. He's by all measurements wildly profitable. Mm-hmm. But yet, when I, when he he had to send his tax return in to go along with an application to purchase equipment that he was purchasing through one of my companies, mm-hmm. um, super lawn trucks. He was purchasing trucks for his business. Okay. okay. And so along with the purchase of the truck, he was applying for credit. Mm-hmm. Tax returns were submitted. I'm not a CPA. I do not do tax and legal work. I'm not mm-hmm. providing tax and legal advice. But when I got his tax return, I then saw on the line that was that was clearly blank that he had failed to claim his his uh, off-road fuel tax credit. And so I simply wrote him an email and I and I said, "Hey, Christian, uh, you might want to check into this because mm-hmm. based on the size of your company and what I know about the number of employees you have." I estimate that you are overpaying your taxes because of this one item around five to $10,000 per year. And he said, he said, you're kidding. I said, no. And this was a email that went back and forth. He said, no, I'm not kidding. Here's the form that needs to be filled out. Mm-hmm. And here's how I recommend that you keep these records. And he said, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Tony. I'm going to what? Talk to my accountant about this because that's that's the accountant's responsible. Yeah. So um, a couple of weeks later, I sent him an email and I said, "Hey, Christian, just want to follow up with you. What did yeah. you do with this information?" He yeah. said, "Tony, I am blown away. My high-priced accountant said they were unfamiliar with the credit." Mm. I said, "Well, it might have something to do with the fact that you live in an urban area." Mm-hmm. And these urban tax accountants are unfamiliar with farming. Mm-hmm. And this is a tax credit that was originally written and produced for farmers. Yeah. Okay. And um, so, you know, when I explained it to him and showed him the forms and then showed him how to do his bookkeeping or record keeping on fuel consumption, then he sent me another email back two months later. And he says, uh, we refiled, it's called an amended return. We amended the returns for my company, mm-hmm. and I am now scheduled to receive a refund of $23,600 for the past three years. So, you know, it wasn't 10000 per year he was overpaying, and it was because it was only a $23,000 refund yeah but it was a it was uh more than five thousand i said it was between five and ten yeah and i knew that because i've been at this for 32 years and mm-hmm. in, in helping guys figure out stuff like this you yeah. see yeah. and what was that worth to him well it was worth twenty three thousand that day <laughs> do you think that he might call me back and ask for more advice a little bit later or <laughs> yeah. you know have no hesitation to call me up and you know and and order more equipment for his yeah. company and so yeah. forth better believe it. So I'm, you know, I, I first 
realized this was a problem because of some of the financial challenges that I was seeing contractors mm -hmm. uh, face yeah, yeah. Uh, as they were applying for credit and, and trying to buy equipment to grow their business, yeah, you know, yeah. create jobs. That's awesome. That's so, awesome. Anyhow, that's man. enough about that, man. That's I mean, good, listen, though. listen, but there's 23,000 pages of tax code. I haven't read them all, but I've read more of them than you, I bet. And I've read more than most of your uh, most of your audience has. Mm -hmm. And if I, and if I'm not reading actual tax code, well, that I'm going to read books by people that are experts in the field. You know who some of the best experts in the field are? Former IRS agents. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> okay. That's, right. good. That. That's good. No, I was, I mean, for, for tax talk, I think, uh, I think that was pretty, pretty interesting for our audience. I mean, shoot, if you can save that much instantly, and you may not save 23 grand, but I mean, goodness gracious, you gotta, we've gotta lean into that more. So um, that was number two. So we've got one, sales per full-time employee. You need to know that number. Two, lean in and be intentional with taxes. Number three, hit me with it. Number three, the wealthy landscape. When you begin to, to, to investigate and understand how the tax code works. One of the things you are going to discover is that there are certain things that you can invest money in that are tax advantage. For example, most of us will purchase a home to live in. Our family home is the first thing that we start hearing about these things called tax deductions, where we can deduct the interest charges on the loan for our home. Mm -hmm. you, you've heard of that, right, Britt? Yes, sir. Okay, so so that is one example. Uh, many of us will understand that if we then graduate from buying our own home, we might buy a property for our business to work out of. Mm -hmm. And if we purchase that property, say commercial real estate, once again, the interest on the loan to acquire that, that real estate is deductible. Yes. But so is this magical tax word. It's a magical tax word that you've heard about applied to your equipment, but do not forget that it applies to real estate as well. Mm -hmm. It's called depreciation mm -hmm. and it is a non-cash expense that allows you to reduce your taxes. So depreciation is sort of mysterious and magical and mm -hmm. only my accountant knows about depreciation. Yeah. Well, let me tell you something. The, but the biggest and most sweeping tax code changes happened in 2018. And today, today, small business owners more than ever have the most favorable tax code in which to operate under. Yep. And so I'm excited about that. And I know that my taxes are going down yep. because of the tax code implemented in 2018. And I'm thankful for our current administration's change in the tax code. But here's where many small business owners goof up. Mm -hmm. They buy their home, they buy their operating uh, location for their business, and they stop. Yeah, That was their last real estate investment. That is a mistake in my view, because if you're courageous enough to start your own business, and if you've, you know, and if you've been diligent enough in your pricing system and learning how to control your expenses, but, but namely how to price your work so that you're profitable, then you're going to have excess cash. Mm -hmm. And that excess cash uh, needs to be put into productive cash flow assets. Okay. 
And here's the challenge, man. Most people understand this concept called retirement. They've heard of retirement and it's somewhere way out in the future. Yeah, and yeah. we and we like the idea of not working. Yeah. And we like the idea of our money working for us. Yeah. But the fact is, is that is that today you can see endless advertisements for financial advisors and financial advisory companies mm -hmm. that all offer really one thing. They say, you send me your money. I'm going to put it into a special account called a retirement account. And then we're going to invest it into publicly traded companies like Facebook and Uber and Tesla mm -hmm. and all these cool sounding companies, right? Well, that's cool. But how much control do you have over Tesla yeah. or Uber or Facebook? Yeah. Zero. Zero. You yeah. got none. none. And so if you're the kind of guy who operates a lawn and landscape business, no, 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 no. You don't want to invest in Uber and Facebook and Tesla. You want to invest in assets that you can control. Yeah. I'm talking about tax advantaged assets, namely homes. Yeah. Homes, single family residential homes offer a fantastic way for you to diversify your income stream, diversify your assets, mm -hmm. and, and further um, uh, prevent you from being uh, wiped out mm -hmm. by these, these crazy swings that happen in the public markets. You know, in 2008, uh, retirement accounts were wiped out by the millions because of things that you had nothing to do with. Mm -hmm. I thank God that I was that I learned early enough in my career that my wife and I began pursuing something we call the 10 home retirement plan. Mm -hmm. Now the 10 home retirement plan simply said this. Our goal is to retire with a six-figure income. Mm -hmm. A six-figure annual income is what I identified as a necessary income level for me and my family based on our lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And so we simply did some math. We said, what's the average rent uh, that we could, that we would earn with three bedroom, two bath homes in our market area? Mm -hmm. How many of them would it take to get me to a six figure mm -hmm. income, a hundred thousand dollars plus. Yeah. And with an average, uh, average monthly rental rate of a three bedroom, two bath home running about $860 uh, in, in our geographical region, mm -hmm. Uh, we came up with 10 homes. Yeah. We needed 10 homes at $860 each, 8,600 a month uh, to get me upwards of a hundred thousand dollars a year in income. Yeah. Bingo. Yeah. There's a 10 home retirement plan. Now mm -hmm. I had to start early. Mm -hmm. I was in my late twenties when I started that plan. Yeah. That's called a backup retirement plan. Yeah. Uh, and so we began to take some profits from the lawn and landscape business. Mm -hmm. And we begin to use some of those profits to place down payments for investment assets. And every time, Britt, every time we added a new home, we got bigger tax deductions. It's like, the, it's like, it's like a revolving circle oh, yeah. Yeah. that it is, that is equally beneficial. Now here's the even better news. Mm -hmm. Now, now, you remember I said something about 2008 yeah. and when the, the stock market with all the publicly traded companies and all the super smart financial advisors, after they stole billions of dollars from average hardworking people, 
Guess what went on sale in the United States of America? Real estate. Real estate. You got it, man. It's no secret. And so my wife and I were able to then accelerate Mm -hmm. our 10 home retirement plan. And we were sitting liquid. We had discovered that over time, as real estate prices went up, the laws of money were being violated. Mm -hmm. We could no longer purchase assets that were positive cash flow. And so we had to sit on the sidelines for a little while, didn't buy anything. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, they went on sale. Yep. So we accelerated our, our income, yep. our, our, our uh, wealth by acquiring now 35 properties Ooh. that we own and manage. Okay. And so that is all what's called passive, mm-hmm. r- passive income, which is treated differently than earned income on your tax return. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's good. So when's the last time you had somebody who was going to provide you advice to improve your lawn or landscaping business, tell you that you should be investing in passive income assets like real estate. Yeah, yeah. Never. <laughs> Until today. Yeah, yeah. Lucky you, man. Yeah. Lucky you, and lucky that you're doing this for your listeners because yeah. because nobody really talks about money. When were you taught about money in yeah. school? Yeah. Was it in elementary school? Hell no. Mm-hmm. Was it in middle school? Uh uh-uh. uh. High school? Forget about it. They don't even teach how to balance a checkbook in high school now, for okay. crying out loud. And and then was it in college? Maybe depending on what you studied. But if you studied horticulture, turf grass, you know, agronomy. It's not until you're kicked out of the nest and you feel the pain, you know. You just That's right. You, once you take a <laughs> once you take a swift kick, you, you feel the pain. That's you're right. like, I, I better wake up and get a handle on this. Um, it is cyclical because you are reducing taxes. You got the depreciation, you got the appreciation of properties, but it also, right. go, it also goes back to that number one too. Like if you're not pricing correctly and having enough margin, you're not gonna have that margin at the end of the year to reinvest for your financial future. So I think that's a, a key point as well. Let, can we get, let's get a little, little practical here. Um, two to five years, you're still growing a business. You got mom at home, you just convinced her you're a lawn care guy. Okay, and I'm a lawn care business owner. How do yeah. you now explain to her what what are some of the tactical steps? Maybe talk about selling, you know, the future, the retirement. How do you how do you go to mama and say, "Hey, yes, we're going to invest in this lawn care business that you didn't believe in at first, but now not only we're gonna, we're going to be now property owners." Um talk to that a little bit and maybe personal experience would be good as well. So so uh, you know, Britt, there's there's a uh, two great equalizers in this country. Equalizer number one is that we are all blessed with the exact same 24 hours a day, seven days a week, Mm -hmm. as long as we are alive and healthy, okay? Mm -hmm. And that 24 seven is where it all starts. What are you get out of your 24 that you are blessed with today? Mm -hmm. uh, And one of the things that is absolutely tied to this decision of will you expand your business operations to to build a seven-figure future through investing in things other than your lawn or landscape business. You've heard of diversification, right? Mm-hmm. Diversification. You want to have you want to have income flowing into your accounts from different sources. Mm-hmm. Now, having lots of customers is different sources, and being your own business, you know, owning your own business yeah. is certainly a great strategy. Yeah. But um, what happens if you get hurt? Mm-hmm. on the job yeah 
Uh, are you able to continue to perform at the same level that you are today? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm I'm blessed, man. I'm sitting here today, uh, man. I got all fi- all ten fingers and ten toes from lawn and landscape work, yeah. but uh, some don't, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. Some don't, and so um, and, and so it's a decision about how you want to use your time, mm-hmm. first and foremost. Yeah. But the second part of this equation is what do you want to learn? Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, the people that are listening to your program today are people that are interested in learning. Mm-hmm. They're interested in, in improving their company, their business, their family, or their results yeah. that they're pursuing in some way, shape, form, or fashion. Mm-hmm. But but I question today, I question with extreme prejudice the quality and the quantity of education that business owners are pursuing. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, I I took the time uh, to spend a year, you know, writing, for example, this book, The E-Myth Landscape Contract. Yeah. But I can pull off my shelf over here the other 12 books that I've written that you've never heard about yeah. that have only been placed into the hands of people that have paid a handsome price to get them mm-hmm. because they were interested in reducing the amount of time it takes to build a company and its systems so that it can operate without them having to be there yeah. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Yeah. And so so the quality and quantity of education, Britt, mm-hmm. is the second equation about how you spend your time. Yeah. And yeah. In, in my case, I will tell you that I included my spouse in the critical parts of education that I pursued. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying I had my wife Lynn, sit down and read every book that I've read. But I can tell you that when we're driving down the road, we are more than likely going to be listening to some type of a book or educational program Mm -hmm. on, you know, today through, you know, an MP3 or through, you know, a a video or an audio recording. But we were listening to audio cassettes, baby, when that was the cool thing to have in your vehicle. That's right. Yeah. That's right. My first recordings were on cassettes. and uh, Wind it up and with a pencil. Yeah. That's it. That's it. Uh, and so we were listening to, to audio books on tape and, yeah. and, uh, and learning about these things from a variety of authors, mm-hmm. a variety of experts, mm-hmm. many of whom were out of the lawn and landscape industry. Yeah. Yeah. Because if you think that you're, excuse me, if you think and expect your wealth to come 100% from your lawn or landscape company, then I think you're taking a risk over time. Yeah. Now, it's fine for it to be that way for the first, you know, five years. Mm-hmm. Uh, but sometime after five years, baby, if you don't have that company operating profitably, mm-hmm. sus- where you can sustain your lifestyle, yeah. then there is a problem that must be fixed. Yeah. Listen, if you can't make money at 200000 do not think you can make money at 400000 Yeah. No, 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 no. That ain't the way the world works. Mm-hmm. you got to be profitable small so that you can be profitable when you're big. Yeah. Yeah. And so don't think you can jump through these steps that I'm talking about. I'm, I'm giving you a lifetime yeah. of feedback here mm-hmm. based on 32 years of me doing it, doing it, doing it myself yeah. and having a track record. Uh, that that will speak for itself, man. Yeah, and, I, and I'll tell you this: I wrote an article, Brent. I, I, it's a, it's a little funny that I even mentioned this, but I wrote an article about four years ago. I made a mistake. Mm-hmm. I didn't follow my own advice. Here was the here was the article's 
uh, recommendation. Before you take business advice from anybody, ask for a copy of their personal financial statement. Mm -hmm. Because if they're not worth more than you are by a factor of 10, then you need to find you somebody else to take advice from, okay? And I took financial advice from a guy who positioned himself as a minister uh, serving through the church, Mm -hmm. providing financial advice for investments in Wall Street. And you know what? That relationship cost me, and I didn't get his personal financial statement. Yeah. Cost me a hundred thousand dollars. Hundred thousand dollars. Gone, boom, mm. like that. Because I trusted someone else mm. to manage my money in something I could not control. Yeah. Something that I could not be held responsible for. Yeah. Sending money to Wall Street. Yeah. Mistake, mistake, mistake. Mm. And every other commercial is about this financial company or that financial company, just send us your money, baby, and we're yeah. going to take care of your future. Yeah. That's a bunch of BS. Yeah. Yeah. You know what that stands for? BS. I don't think I do. Why don't you? No, <laughs> <laughs> no and, they, and they package oh, it. This is a G-rated show. You told me it's a G-rated show. Not going to be going there. Oh, no, no. You, you get the picture here. You get I the do. picture, man. I do. Okay. And, they're, and and they do wrap it in a bow. They, they put it out there as ownership. So I want our listeners to know, like, the overarching theme that I keep getting out of this is is being intentional, leaning leaning into your life, reading more, learning more, educating yourself, seeking out mentors that are better than you, and not just air mailing it in in life. The whole the whole picture. But I also want to address this because this is one thing I'm working on personally. When you were talking about time, then you started like uh, rabbit hole of like owning your own job, owning properties. One thing I think we confuse is as a sl- we're small business owners, but until you reach a point and I'm still not there, you just own your job. You may you may feel like you own something, but if you don't show up to work, everything falls to pieces. So you just own your job. And that's where I think some of our listeners need to take away a, a point with diversifying with these properties is because yes, it is passive income. And you own that. You do not look, have. You don't have to be present to look, collect that cash it's flow. It's called passive income for a reason. Yeah. Um, because it generally doesn't require day to day work yeah. in the business. Yeah. Okay. Your your lawn care company, Britt, could create passive income for yeah. you personally, but it would mean that you are not working there managing the company every yeah. day. Yeah. It would mean that you're not working in the business, going out and doing applications. Mm-hmm. A passive income stream is for someone who sits off to the side mm-hmm. and has ownership but yeah. does not actually have to do anything day-to-day in the business, okay? Good. Good. And that's a tax-advantaged income stream. You know, you can make all kind of decisions about how you're going to spend your time. And you can say, well, gosh, I'm too busy to do this or to mm-hmm. learn about real estate and on top of the landscape or lawn business or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. Yeah. If that's the way you want to operate your business in life, then don't come complaining to me with a hurt back mm-hmm. after you've been doing it for 15 or 20 years, yeah. which, and I'm not saying that you can't come to me and complain about it because, <laughs> because eventually people do wake up and yeah. say, wow, what do I have after doing this for all this time? Yeah. And if that's the lifestyle you want, then God bless you, man, and yeah. and 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 and, and, I, and I wish the best for you. Yeah. But it's not the only option. Mm-hmm. Okay. The other option is is that you can become a business owner who is also an investor 
and assets that you control Mm -hmm. and that you own. Good. You think this is helpful, man? I mean, I... I'm loving it. I'm loving it. I okay. hope, I hope right. you know I'm loving it. I'm, I'm eating it up. I am taking notes. So if it doesn't look like I'm paying attention, I'm, I'm over here taking notes, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to re-listen good. to this myself over and over again. Um, if our couple listeners, if my grandma doesn't listen to it on a loop to get our ratings up, I'll listen to it a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we've got number one. Sales per full-time equivalent. Number two, taxes, taxes, taxes. Number three, we got real estate, being a real estate owner. Hit me with number four, Tony. Yeah, so if you stay in this business long enough, you're going to have to learn the difference between a customer and a client. A customer is someone who pays you money in exchange for services delivered. Mm -hmm. But a client is completely different. This is someone who follows your recommendations, Mm -hmm. someone who trusts you, Mm -hmm. someone who is under your care and under uh, your protection. Mm -hmm. And so if you have client relationships, Britt, eventually, not in day one, not in year one, certainly not early, but over time, if you can develop a business that has reoccurring revenue, such as lawn care, lawn maintenance, snow removal, Mm -hmm. tree pruning on a routine, a pre pre-selected routine Mm -hmm. that generates reoccurring revenue, eventually, eventually you're going to want to add high profit specialized services and offer them to your existing customers. Step four is adding specialized services Mm -hmm. and adding it in a way, Britt, that you will never be bid out. You see, you, you give the customer the option to buy, but not bid. And you give them the option to buy at margins that are two times or three times higher than maybe some of your core services. And companies that that take that step to where they're really good at their core, Mm -hmm. but then they can offer um, add-on services at high profits, can really drive their margins through the roof. Now, in the pages of the EMF Landscape Contractor, uh, we talk about this thing called, you know, using subcontractors. Okay, subcontractors is a is a really confusing term for a lot of contractors because they go they go, well, I got this guy named Harry, and Harry works on my crew, but I pay him as a subcontractor because I'm trying to avoid taxes. Yeah, and yeah, I say, well, that's that's one idea. It's not the idea I recommend. Yeah. No, a subcontractor, <laughs> somebody who works with their own tools, their own equipment their own schedule, Mm -hmm. and this is the great part, if they don't do the job right the first time, you can send them back over there and they got to fix it on their own time. Yeah. Try that with one of your employees and see if they're still a subcontractor. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. If you got Harry and you send him back and he's really on your payroll, (laughs) he won't fix it for free. He's going to clock in. No doubt. No doubt. All right. so, So the idea here is that you don't have to learn how to do everything mm-hmm. to profit from the relationship. Yeah. So, for example, you may have a book of 100, 200, 300 clients count on you, counting on you for lawn care, lawn maintenance, whatever. But yet, almost all of those customers at some point in time may need help with an irrigation system, mm-hmm. whether that's being designed and installed or simply being maintained. Yeah. At some point in time, there's a fraction of those 100, 200, 300 customers who would love to have a low-maintenance outdoor backyard paver patio, yeah. but yet you may not have the technical expertise to build one, install one, design one, 
and so on. Mm -hmm. And so partnering and creating subcontractor relationships can actually allow you to put the pedal to the metal and do this a little earlier than you might otherwise do it. So for example, I'll talk about my former uh, lawn and landscape business. Okay. We had, we had, um, lawn maintenance services and that's what we started with. Mm -hmm. And then we began to, uh, as we built relationships with those folks, then there was opportunities to do irrigation jobs. Yeah. Then there was opportunities to do, you know, landscaping jobs. Mm-hmm. There was opportunities to to rip out the yard and reinstall sod. There was yeah. opportunities, you know, to remove trees and have those stumps ground out and, and all those things. And we did not have the technical expertise to do all that in the early days. And yeah. so we had to rely on subcontract relationships. But what we made certain of is that we had written and documented subcontractor agreements in place Mm -hmm. so that when we had a subcontractor perform work for us, Mm -hmm. they would behave in a way that was compliant with our needs. Subcontractor relationships can help you put the pedal to the metal if you don't want to build out that infrastructure on your own. I have a client, Richmond, Virginia, super dude, super, super dude. Name's Doug Robbins. He's got a company called Robbins Landscape. For the first, um, for the first, uh, five, six, seven years of his business, mm-hmm. he provided landscape design build services. Mm-hmm. And he had a marvelous track record of customer satisfaction. Yeah. In fact, I'll never forget the first time I went onto his property uh, to help him with his business plan for the year. And I've looked up above the fireplace in this little rustic cabin he was working out of. And above the fireplace were these customer um, satisfaction surveys that had been completed. Yeah. And I went through and I read them and there was seven of them up there and all of them had near perfect scores. Yeah. Five out of five stars, man. I mean, it was beautiful. Mm-hmm. And then there were these comments, uh, uh, Doug, uh, uh, Rogelio was an excellent worker. We enjoyed working with him and Tom did a fabulous job on our design yeah. and we loved him. Yeah. And, and, and then there was these comments about customers, you know, love you this much, then I'll bet we could sell additional stuff to them. Yeah. And he said, well, yeah, he said, we usually get pretty good reviews. And I said, you got more of these? He said, sure do. Got a drawer full of them over here. And I said, well, let me see them. And he pulls out his drawer and he opens up and has this stack of customer uh, satisfaction surveys that have been completed, Britt. Yeah. And I went through them painstakingly reading every single one. Yeah. And when it was said and done, I took all the scores and I totaled them up in a spreadsheet. Turned out this dude had like a 4.85 out of 5 uh, over a period of like four years. And I'm going, dude, this is fabulous. Yeah. Yeah. I said, do you think that these people, this stack of people, might like to continue the relationship with you in by providing lawn maintenance services? Yeah. Yeah. And he said, well, I had not really thought about it that way. You know, I'm not don't really know much about lawn maintenance. I'm kind of a design and install guy. And I said, well, I suspect that right here within this stack of names, there are at least three, $400,000 a year in income that could be generated from these relationships. And he says, well, I don't know how to go about doing that. And I said, well, here's how we do it. Mm-hmm. And so we plugged in the books and the training manuals that I produced mm-hmm. and we prepared a, a basically a sales letter, short yeah. sales letter and offer. And we did an initial mailing. Yeah. And within, and within the first Six months, he had he'd already signed up over $100,000 a year worth of reoccurring revenue My off word. of people that he'd already worked for in the past. 
Today, that income stream accounts for almost a million dollars worth of reoccurring revenue every single year, all starting from the relationships he had built yeah. uh, from landscape construction. So you see, this can work both ways. It's mm -hmm. called cross-selling yeah. or maybe upselling, yeah. but it doesn't matter what you're doing today, it's what you might be doing in the future. Yeah, yeah, no, that's huge, that's huge. So what it does for, for that small lawn care guy is what, it, it reduces risk and it gives them a chance to upsell without fronting some cash. I mean, practically speaking, are they, are they hiring the subcontractor and billing through their company or is this absolutely yeah. absolutely you want to control the relationship mm -hmm. that means that you want to do all the communication mm -hmm. be, uh, between you and the customer okay. you want to be responsible okay. you want to be responsive mm -hmm. you want to be you want to be the guy who's the idea man or the creative problem solver yeah. and uh, when you position yourself as that mm -hmm. then you can really grow the margins in your company yeah. uh, by leaps and bounds. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and and you can and, and this is so important, Britt. Guys, you know, you know, how many contractors right now listening to this have a seasonal business? Mm -hmm. That is, the business is super busy in the spring, and by the time it gets to winter, it falls off. Yeah. Well, one of the ways you protect the business from being from being a seasonal business is that you learn how to offer services that have an opposite season yeah. to the one that you're currently uh, that you're currently serving. Yeah. You know, for for example, let's just say that you are uh, doing lawn care, mm -hmm. and lawn care we got to apply weed control and we got to fertilize. Yeah. But we say we want to diversify the business. And what are we going to do? We're going to buy a core aerator and we're going to start aerating. Mm -hmm. Well, that's fine. But have you diversified the seasonality of your business? Yeah. Not Depends on when you're aerating, yeah, right? Yeah. But, but it's still pretty much done during the season yeah. in most, yeah. you know, most geographical regions. Yeah. So that hasn't really diversified the income stream. Okay. Give me an example. So um, next month, um, keynoting the uh, mega training event held each year for the franchise company called Christmas Decor. Mm -hmm. And Christmas Decor provides a training system and a methodology for contractors to add income in November, December, and January. Okay. Uh, it is a counter-cyclical business to landscaping, a nice tuck-in business mm -hmm. to uh, for, for lawn and landscaping contractors. And they're bringing me out to Dallas to talk about systems and the importance of systems in their, you know, and how it applies in, in these businesses, but also about some of the, some of the trends in the industry, like we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, and so the question is, is have you figured out how to add revenue in November, December, and January? Because that's when your sales are going down, down, down. Yeah. That's one way to do it. There's uh -huh. others, but that's one way. Yeah. You know, one of the things I talked about earlier, I talked about real estate. Mm -hmm. I think you should be buying one house, every single year and using the winter time to do the rehab mm -hmm. do the rehab in the winter with some of your labor yep. uh, you can manage subcontractors more efficiently then because you're not as busy yep. and then you get that property ready to either rent out or to lease to own or to sell mm -hmm. uh come the uh springtime and that's, that's the good. cycle of home buying that's good. it's opposite of lawn and landscape work i like it i like it that's really good that's really good um so number four is add specialized services 
Um, you can jump into that quickly, reduces risk. You touched on it, kind of skips the learning curve per se. And uh, I know what a lot of our listeners are thinking, you know, I, I don't have time to do that. I don't have the expertise. I don't have the money. But what you're saying here is you don't have to have those things. Sub it out. You control the situation. And then even once you get it to a certain revenue mark, if you go back to you knowing your sales per full-time equivalent, once you get that subcontractor revenue up enough, you will know when you can take the leap to hire that first full-time That's guy. right. That's right. And then you can, and, and I should have, you know, went on to say about my client, Doug, you know, we did the same thing with irrigation in his company. We subcontracted it out till we achieved an annualized revenue of approximately 200000 per annum. Bingo. And then he was able to add on the a guy full-time employee, buy the truck, get the right equipment so he could become efficient at Huge. it. And then he's built it on that from there. Huge. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Are we having fun yet? Are we having fun yet? Is this I'm, fun? I'm eating this up, man. I, I could I could talk about this stuff, learn, take notes on, on small business topics all day long. Um, all right, so that was number four. And I don't I don't want to skip over. I mean, we didn't spend as much time, but number four is huge. I mean, there there's potential there for I mean unforeseen amounts of growth. I mean it's it's crazy. But number let's go on to number five just for time's sake. I know uh we're going a little longer than you had planned, so you can cut me off if, if we're not doing good, but I would like to get to number five. Well, I would feel like I had cheated you and your listeners if we didn't cover all five. Cliff, but cliffhanger, you got to buy the book. If you're, <laughs> if you're concerned about five, if you really want to learn about step five Hit in building it. your seven-figure future, mm-hmm. then you've got to know this point. Okay. And the point is simply this. The most valuable asset that you will ever create in your life could be your company. Mm -hmm. That is, your company is the final product, Mm -hmm. not the lawn that you mowed this past week, not the landscape that you installed this past week or the tree that you that you cut down this past week or the irrigation system you installed or the segmental retaining wall you built, that is not the final product. Mm -hmm. The final product is this asset called your business. Mm -hmm. And what you must understand, some key points, is that there are very specific steps that you can take to increase the value of your company. Now, let me give you a couple of examples of how you increase the value of your company. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, if you're a if you're a lawn landscape business owner who likes to do business quote the old fashioned way, mm-hmm. we talk about how, what kind of services we're going to provide, and then the customer says, "Okay, do them." And on a handshake, because boy, we are really, 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 you know, <laughs> believe yes, sir. Let's spit on it too. And, uh, and then we're going to shake on it and we're going to do business. Yeah. That's one way to do business. And the fact is, is that if your company does not have written contracts or written service agreements, mm-hmm. then you have, uh, you have, you have stuck your company into a very low valuation agreement. You see, mm-hmm. uh, my co-author, Michael E. Gerber, I had dinner with him, uh, a few nights ago. He's 83 years old. By the way, it helps when you learn from people that are older than you, 
because they have more experience than you, mm -hmm. okay? Yeah. And when I read the original manuscript of the E-Myth, why most small businesses don't work and what to do about it, there was one chapter of the book that I completely dismissed. It just went right over my head. It was, it was beyond my capacity to comprehend based on my education and knowledge at that point in time in my life. But here's what Mr. Gerber said to me. He said, the only reason to build a business, to start a business and to build a business is to sell that son of a gun one day, mm -hmm. because that is the only moment that you will be able to take the fourth kind of money out of the business. By the way, the four kinds of money, you want these four kinds of money, by the way, Britt? You want the four kinds of money? Yeah. Are you testing me? Or, 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 <laughs> the four kinds of money starts yeah. with this thing called profit. You know, we're always yeah. looking for profit in the business. Yeah. But the second kind of money is called your salary, mm -hmm. which is the money you get paid to do the job in your company. Mm -hmm. The third kind of money is called cash flow. Mm -hmm. That is how the money is managed going in and out of your company. But the fourth kind of money, the the very elusive kind of money and the kind of money that no one asked me about on day one when we talk is, Tony, how do I increase the equity mm -hmm. in my business? You see, equity is ownership and it is it is how much the company is worth. Mm -hmm. And so uh, part of your strategy going forward must be to understand that if you're going to have a liquidity event in your future, that is a moment in time where you can actually sell your business and sell it for a meaningful amount of money, yeah. then you're going to have to understand that business must look and behave a certain way. Mm -hmm. And one of those things is, is that you're going to have to have written agreements. Mm -hmm. Written agreements doubles the value of a company. Let me give you an example. So if a company has revenues of $200,000 a year, and that's mm -hmm. a small business, but it has a net profit of $20,000 per year, then that small business could probably be sold for at least one times earnings or $20,000 a year. Mm -hmm. And that would not include any kind of, uh, uh, um, uh, uh, you know, um, I should, I should say, you know, there's lots of ways to figure the value of a company, but we're just going to use on net income for yeah. discussion today. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, so if we, if we paid a one times net income for that business, we would pay that owner $20,000. Mm -hmm. But if we had documented service agreements for reoccurring revenue, mm -hmm. then the business value would instantly go to two okay. or $40,000 okay. for a sales price. Now, um, getting from one to two is a matter of how well and how thorough you are about executing on a business plan, such as having your customers sign mm -hmm. a document. Mm -hmm. Okay. And a lot of folks in this business, especially in the young days, man, they just skip over this. Mm -hmm. They think, ah, he's agreed to pay me $50 a cut. And as long as I show up and cut, I'm going to get paid and so on. Well, you might show up, you might get paid, but you have nothing to sell. I yeah. believe me. You know what you're going to be selling? A wore out lawnmower, a wore out truck, a wore out trailer. And what's that worth? I'll yeah. tell you what it's worth. It's worth whatever the guy who needs it the most that has some cash laying around <laughs> will pay you. And that's yeah. called a fire sale. Okay. Yeah. A fire sale. You don't get rich in this business by selling your 
your equipment assets at a mm -hmm. fire sale when you quote get them paid for one mm -hmm. day no 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 you want to sell based on the future earnings of your company and you see when you sell at a 1x earnings that means in one year you would get paid back that same amount of money in income for the sale of the business but if you get a two multiple now you're getting two years of income mm -hmm. off of that book of business that you have mm -hmm. look uh, many small businesses that are well ran that graduate to a million dollars in annual revenue, they're probably going to have written, you know, agreements, written service plans in place. Yep. And many of those businesses will create a value stream of somewhere around three X mm -hmm. if they're a reoccurring revenue business. Mm -hmm. But if that business is a, is a construction business, for example, that only has work sold out for a few months in the future. Yeah. Maybe they got a couple of tentative jobs for next year. Yeah. They're never going to be worth more than one time's earning. Yeah. That's just the way the world works and the flow of money. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, and so, you know, how do you get from a one to a two to a three? Well, uh, let me tell you how you get to a three. Mm -hmm. You build a reoccurring revenue stream of a million dollars or more in this industry and you can get to a three X on your earnings. Mm -hmm. And that my friends is a good place to be. Mm -hmm. If you get there, you know, if you had a million dollar company, if you were operating at, at a 10% net margin, a uh, hundred thousand dollars per year, you could sell the business for $300,000, perhaps more. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to say that's the, you know, the, 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 you know, cause man, the way things are today in the mergers and acquisitions market, there are some guys on the streets right now getting paid five, six, and seven times earnings, mm -hmm. but uh, that's pretty rare. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's companies that are doing several million dollars yeah. a year in, in annual revenue. Uh, how to get from three to four, you become a multi-million dollar company mm -hmm. and you have a team that works for you. In other words, you, the business owner, do not have to be there every single day. Mm -hmm. If you can build a company that works for you and not just because of you, it's worth 400% yeah. of what that small company is worth where you're working in it every day. And that's, that is when you access the E, the equity mm -hmm. in the business. That's so yeah. uh, that's a big realization. It's a big concept. It, everybody listening will not get this and understand yeah. this and go, crap, man, I just want to be able to pay my mortgage next month. What yeah. the hell are you talking just about? Get here? me to Friday. And, yeah. <laughs> get me to payroll yeah. on Friday and get me help with checks, you know, collected or, or the uh, credit cards uh, process yeah. or whatever it may be. Let me, uh, if, look, if you're okay, real quick, let me, let me interject here. Um, one thing I'm noticing is, as thinking about the equity, thinking about the exit strategy, I'm just thinking, well, what if I'm, what if I'm a landscaper, a hardscaper sitting here and I'm like, well, I'm good on the three other forms of money, but equity, I'm struggling. Again, it, this whole system is cyclical. Go back to the subcontractor piece. Slowly subcontract and get that recurring revenue back up. Um, we don't do any landscaping or hardscaping, but I'm just trying to put myself, if you are a listener out there, 
and you don't well, have recurring revenue. Well, let me, let me take only... you back one step from there because yeah. because you say go back to step three. Yeah. I'd say no, go back to step one. Yeah. Because step one, if you're going to take on some of this work, subcontracted work, mm -hmm. you better make darn well that it's priced right to start yeah. with. But you're making a profit. And so, yeah. Yes, sir. You've got to price the work correctly. And so anything mm -hmm. that's going to happen positive in your company yeah. moving forward, even these ideas about, you know, having a business that has grown to the point where you can get a three, four, five multiple on its future earnings um, is is going to be tied directly to pricing. It's going to yeah. be tied directly to your company's profitability. Yeah. It is a bunch of crap if you think that you're going to sell your company for the value of the equipment one day and become wealthy. Yeah. That ain't the way it happens. If you believe that happens, then you go interview um, Juan Vila. Juan Vila built a company of $70 million. And in 2008, when the market fell out from under him, he was, by the way, this guy, Juan Vila, super nice family, South Florida, yeah. the, um, you know, from Miami, Fort Lauderdale, they had branches all over South Florida. They made him the poster child of the lawn and landscape industry. Put his face, put his face like this close, right on the cover <laughs> of the magazine for, the, uh, for, for three years and says, says the greatest landscaper in America. Here he is. Look at him. And and then and then after 2008, they had his face on there again. It was this close. You could see the pores in his nose. And it said, what happened to Juan? And they interviewed Juan, and they said, Juan, what happened? He said, he said well, my overhead was too high. I priced the work too low. And when, the, um, and when the economy shifted and started going down, I couldn't lay off my friends and family fast enough oh. to save my company. And after 25 years... He was bankrupt, mm. lost his farms, his homes, his helicopter, his, his, his trucks, everything. Gone. Bye-bye. Yeah. The bank confiscated it. Where's the glory in the destruction of all those jobs? No glory in that, in my view, other than the lesson that you and I can learn from the story of mm. what happened to, to uh, Juan. And, uh, and and so this uh, so he couldn't sell his business on the street mm. because he had priced the work too low. The guys who were rolling up and buying and acquiring in that region at that time said, "Forget it. We already know the jobs are priced too low. We can't buy them and pay him anything on them because they're priced too low." Yeah. So your company's got to be profitable before any of this is possible. Mm. And so this is the critical skill set that every lawn and landscape business owner must become masterful at, and that is understand your cost so that when you mark up your cost, you can be at a profit on the work that you're going to do. This is a life skill. It applies to every single business that you may uh, start, develop, grow over your lifetime. I will tell you that if, uh, if I hadn't have met the right mentor at the right time in my career, but I believe it was divine intervention, you know, um, God placed the right people in my life at the right times to help me meet the goals that I had. The big picture ideas that I thought I had, I got the right help at the right time. Yeah. I never learned any of this stuff on my own, but I was courageous enough to hire people that mm -hmm. were older than me, that had a financial track record that was very positive, yeah. and that were willing to coach me along the way. And so, you know, I can uh, I can give credit to lots of different uh, folks in in, uh, in my career. That's awesome. But what it boils down to today is that every single person who's listening in or, or who may have stumbled across your 
you know, your site is that they have a choice to change the way they behave. They have a choice to change the way that they treat their company. Mm -hmm. they, have a, they have a choice of changing the way they treat their customers. They have a choice of changing the way that they treat their employees. They have a, they have a choice in the way that they manage the relationship with their family. And the only way, the only way is the systems-based thinking mm -hmm. that is covered in the pages of the EMIF landscape contractor while most landscape companies don't work and what to do about it. And by the way, uh, Michael Gerber wrote the original book. He's my co-author in this. Yep. And there's been now 15 different versions of this book for 15 different industries. But this is the one for the landscape industry yeah. that uh, Michael and I collaborated on. Yeah. And you get his 83 years of life, 50 plus years coaching um, hundreds of thousands of companies along the way. I haven't coached hundreds of thousands of companies. I have coached hundreds of companies mm -hmm. in my career. And I will tell you that the laws of money can never be violated. Yeah. You must be profitable first mm -hmm. before anything else happens. And so if you're not profitable today, there's a reason for it. Mm -hmm. The reason is most likely you've got a pricing problem. And if you fix that pricing problem, then everything gets better from there. Boom. So that's where it starts, Britt. And, and, and if you and I talk again 10 years from now, you're going to hear me say the same thing, that uh -huh. it starts with pricing your jobs. There's all kind of people, you know, that I see on the, on the Internet and all kind of little discussion groups in this industry today talking about, oh, man, if you can just be a better digital marketer, your business is going to explode. Yeah. I'm going to say, well, your business might blow up and, and, and kill you and your family in the process <laughs> because the damn jobs ain't priced right. And if the jobs ain't priced right, the only thing that growth in marketing does is accelerate your death. Yeah. It yeah. is no fun to take on work that is not profitable. So I'm, as you can tell, a little passionate about this yeah. idea yeah. that we've got to get it right. And so I'm on a mission to teach 10,000 lawn landscape business owners how to double their profits because they need to. Yeah. The average net profit in this industry, as reported by the National Association of Landscape Professionals, in the latest industry survey, the net profit was a pitiful 2.7%. 2.7%. Now, that's, that's on top of an owner's salary, and that's on top of the owner's benefits that are yeah. figured into the to the overhead of the company mm -hmm. is probably on top of a retirement program that the company is funding as well. So it's pure profit. Yeah. It's not some, you know, some kind of, uh, I've been cooking my books profit. Mm -hmm. No, that's real profit. Yeah. But my view and my goal is to teach contractors how to get to, how to get to triple the industry average, get to 10% is what I want you to do. Get mm -hmm. to 10% or more net profit. Yeah. And don't say, well, I already make 20%. And I go, and, and they say, oh, I'm to make 20%. I say, well, let's, let's, let's look at your books. Let me look at your financial statement. You've been cooking your books. I'll uncook them for you. Here's what we'll do. We're going to ask a few questions. First, where's your salary on this profit and loss statement? It's going to say, well, I don't take a salary. I take a draw. It shows up on the on the balance sheet. And I go, I go well, what about the job that you're mm -hmm. doing in the company? You should be paid a salary for doing that job. And here's why you got to pay yourself a salary for doing that job. Because if you ever want to hire somebody yep. to do that job for you, you're going to have to pay them something. Mm -hmm. So it's it's ludicrous to think that you can have your P and L not have a salary yeah, in it, yeah. uh, and you're and you're and you're making twenty percent profit. So you got to put your, your numbers back in there for a salary. Yeah. Second, 
I say, well, what about your spouse? Yeah. Is your, is your wife working with you? Do your, any of your children work on your team? Mm-hmm. Because and what are you paying them? Mm-hmm. Well, it's my wife. She loves me. You know, she, <laughs> she, she loves me. I say, well, she loves you. Well, she worked for me for free because I won't pay her either. It'd be beautiful. She can come <laughs> over here. She can stay busy as heck. And I just want to repay her, yeah. but I'll keep her really busy. Yeah. And I said, no, no, no. If, if she works for you, you got to pay her. I said, well, if, if she works in your company, you better pay her. Yeah. So if the spouse is working and they're not being paid a salary, that's another way you're cooking your books. And it mm-hmm. goes on and on with the children as well. Yeah. Then I say, okay, well, what about this? You know, are you paying yourself a benefits package such as health insurance, disability insurance? Are you paying for your life insurance? Maybe not through your company because that would be a tax mistake but is your company funding your life insurance policy Mm -hmm. and then what about your your retirement program that is treated tax advantage Mm -hmm. that is you don't have to pay taxes on uh on on certain types of retirement funds yeah so your business should be providing those things i know you've been learning a little bit about some of those things based on some of the uh interviews that i've uh, heard you with but i heard you have before but but, you know, so so I'll, I just say, you know, if you tell me you're making 20 percent or 30 percent, I'll say it's probably a bunch of crap. I've been looking at books for over 20 years in this industry. I've found three companies so far, three that had seven figure net incomes when the owners were paying themselves a six figure income. Yeah. And so it, it, it's not that it don't happen. It's just very rare. rare. Yeah. Yeah. You with me? I'm with you. Tenth of tenth of one percent. I'm with you. I'm with you. Well, Tony, Dude. you are uh, you're the man. You're on fire. I hate to slow down a moving pony, but uh, I want to respect your time. I will tell you, listeners, if I'm here trying to listen, talk, learn, and I've already got two pages of notes, Y'all should have about six after listening to this a couple of times. Um, but um, we appreciate you guys for listening. Tony, before we let you head out, where can our listeners find you? What platform can they reach out? And uh, where can they buy the book when it comes out on pre-sale? Yeah, so let me just give you this to start with, okay? Uh, if you go to superlawntoolkit.com, superlawn toolkit.com okay then um right there on the home page mm-hmm. there will be an offer for you to get your copy of the e-myth landscape contractor and look guys you want the print copy because it has charts and examples in here you've got written text some scripts that you'll want to use mm-hmm. and so forth you're going to want to get the print copy and this may sound weird but i'm going to give you this recommendation you're going to want to get your own audio cd copy as well and we'll send you this this set yeah. uh together so you can listen and learn okay. and read and take notes in the margins and so forth and we're going to give that to you at a discount these mm. books are currently being used in some of the most prestigious universities uh, in our country today in the horticulture landscape programs as the guiding light for how the future owners of landscape companies are thinking about their businesses. Perfect. They're $54.95 each. You can get two of them in there. You get the package for just 77 bucks. Perfect. So that's where you get started, Britt. You get started there. The things that you and I have been talking about today, that happens over a period of time, mm-hmm. lifetime of implementation and coaching and so forth. But you got to get started somewhere. You want to get started with your copy of the E-Myth Landscape Contractor. And, uh, and if you have, if you already got it and for some reason 
you know, you just kind of read it or skimmed it, or for some reason you read it a while back and said, ah, oh, it's a nice idea, but then you've gotten stuck mm -hmm. in your business, just doing it, doing it, doing it again, but not making real progress, then go back and read it again, man, because, because uh, today you'll be a different person than the first time you read it. And every time you reread it, you're going to pick up another nugget, another mm -hmm. tidbit, another excellent piece of information to help you think differently about your company and how you truly can become wealthy yep. from owning your own lawn or landscaping company. And I truly hope that that will happen for you and for your family. It's happened for me. Uh, it's happened happening for my clients that I've been coaching over the last wow. 20 years. And, um, and I just want to make sure we help as many people as we can Me too. before I retire again. Awesome. Awesome, man. Well, <laughs> I do appreciate it. I know our listeners are better for this. Um, I will, listeners, we're going to have that in the show notes. So when you click on this and listen to the podcast, we'll have that link in the show notes. It will be clickable. You can follow it out, get that discount on the book and CD. Tony, thank you so much for your time, man. Um, you're awesome. You're killing it. And, uh, Wish you well and the best for you and your family. And if Tabitha's right. on here, thank you, Tabitha, for coordinating this. And uh, we'll be back with you guys again soon. Thanks, Britt. Thanks, Tony. Bye-bye. Happy landscaping, brother. Thank you, sir. Bye. All right, guys. I told you that was going to be a good one, chalked full of content. You could take notes, re-listen 10 times. But if you don't implement it into your day, infuse some systems some intentionality into your personal life nothing's going to change so please 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 take notes but implement it implement some change one step forward is called progress so that's all we're asking of you guys i hope this added value and if it did here's what i'm going to ask of you all right we need you to go like our instagram page like our facebook page and leave us a review on the podcast you know I know this is one of the better podcasts for lawn care guys, but guess what? Don't keep it to yourself. We're trying to help other business owners like you, like me, bring value to you. That's that's the whole reason I started this podcast. There's ample amount of information on how we do what we do, the horticulture side, the actual technic, technician side of what we do, and we're looking to fill that gap, the leadership, communication, and small business mindset for you guys that... Uh, Started with a push mower, wake up, and now you're managing a team. Your business is growing. So if we've, if we've given you some content that you like, please share it. Um, that's what makes us happy. So you guys have a great week. Hope you enjoyed this one. DM us, comment on an Instagram post, and let us know what you thought of this episode. We will be back with you again next week, bringing you some more interviews lined up, bringing you some more movement mini-series and some documented episodes. Y'all have a good week. If you're still listening, that means you are a Lawn Care Leaders podcast fanatic, big fan of it. We're a big fan of you, so we wanted to give a shout out to people just like you. 
JB Lawn Care out of Salt Lake area. Thanks for listening. Thanks for following us on Instagram. And uh, hope you're having a great season. And be sure to keep us in your earbuds so we can grow and learn with you. Keep at it, JB Lawn Care. And uh, thanks for thanks again for listening.